Welcome to Growth Mindset University. I'm your host, Jordan Paris, and this show is all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school but did not, so that we can succeed in the progressive new age of business and life we find ourselves in today. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. I am extremely grateful that you are here with me today on Growth Mindset University. Two times per week, we have interviews with the best of the best. New York Times bestselling authors, billionaires, the like, the most successful people in the world, people like Mark Manson, Naveen Jain, James Altucher, so many more. And I don't want you to miss these interviews. So go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, Growth Mindset University, wherever you are listening right now. One of my favorite things is when you reach out to our guests that we have on the show. So for example, if you enjoy today's guest, please reach out to them. Tell them that you enjoyed today's episode. Send them that token of gratitude. Like, look, I heard John Jordan's show and it was so good. This really impacted me. If you do this with every guest, you're going to start building a world-class network in record time. This is how I built my network. So this is just another way I'm looking to give back to you here. Just give you this little tip. So reach out to our guest today. And now without further ado, please enjoy the show. My guest today is Mir Ayal. Mir writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. The MIT Technology Review dubbed Near the profit of habit-forming technology. Near founded two tech companies since 2003 and has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso-Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. He is the author of the best-selling book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and his timely new book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life is set to be released on September 10th of 2019. It's already selling really well, as I saw on Amazon, and you can pre-order it right now on the aforementioned Amazon. In addition to blogging at nearandfar.com, he's, his writing has been featured in the Harvard Business Review, TechCrunch, and Psychology Today. Nir is also an active investor in habit-forming technologies, and some of his past inve- investments include Eventbrite, Refresh.io, which was acquired by LinkedIn, WorkLife, acquired by Cisco, Product Hunt, Marco Polo, Presence Learning, Kahoot, which uh, is used in schools all over, I've used it before, Focusmate, and Anchor.fm, which is a podcast hosting software acquired by Spotify. Nir, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jordan. It's great to be here. So, Nir, I want to make sure people can find you before we even get started. I highly recommend that people order your timely new book, Indistractable, on Amazon. And there's, from what I understand, that there there's a lot of resources that go along with it that people get access to, like right now, yeah? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So if they go to indistractable.com, there are all kinds of resources you can get there. So if you are listening to this before September 10th, you can actually download the entire book. My publisher has been super cool about this, and they've allowed anybody who pre-orders the book to download the entire PDF and start reading it before it hits bookstore shelves. If you're listening to this after September 10th, um, in uh, then you could just you know buy the book wherever books are sold. Then you can also get the resources that accompany the book, like an 80-page workbook, a distraction tracker, 
uh, my list of top resources and tools. All of these things are available at indistractable.com. Beautiful. And people can find you also on Twitter at Nir Ayal, spelled N-I-R-E-Y-A-L. Nir, why this book? Why Indistractable right now? Yeah. So, you know, what, what I, uh, I, I write books because I'm looking for answers. And so that's why I wrote my first book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, because I was looking for a book on how to use these amazing technologies that we all carry around with us in our pockets. How can we use them for good? How can we use them to build healthy habits? And so that's why I wrote Hooked. And Indistractable came out of a similar problem where I, I was looking for an answer to a question I had. And I read every book on the topic, and I couldn't find the book that, that solved the problem, so I decided to write it myself. Uh, and the problem was, why didn't I do what I said I'm going to do, <laughs> right? And this is an age-old problem. Uh, Socrates and Plato talked about this 2,500 years ago. They called it akrasia, which means the tendency to do things against our better interest. So the idea behind this question is, you know, it's, it's so fascinating. We, we all basically know what to do, right? The personal development, self-help, you know, multi-billion dollar industry complex uh, pushes solutions, right? Here's the answer to your problem. But if we're really honest with ourselves, don't we kind of already know, right? Like, you know how to get into shape. You exercise and you, you eat healthfully. Uh, to have good relationships, we need to be fully present with people who, who we love to do well at our jobs. We have to actually do the work, right? Why don't we do it, right? Why do we sit at our desk every day, as I did, and even though I knew I had to work on that big presentation or I need to do some writing, uh, let me just check email for a few minutes, or you know what I'll do? I'll just check that group chat channel, that Slack channel for a bit, and I wouldn't do the stuff that I know I should do. Why? <laughs> Why do we do that? And so I thought, man, if I just did what I know I should do, wouldn't that be a superpower? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. And so I wanted to develop that skill. And, and particularly, by the way, this also coincides with this explosion of technology that I know for a fact as an industry insider is designed to get you hooked. I wrote the book about it, right? And my book is really about how to use this stuff for good. But the fact is, in this day and age, if you don't have these skills, if you don't know how to be indistractable, they're going to get you. They're going to get you because they understand what makes you click and what makes you tick better than you understand yourself. So this is really what I call the skill of the century, that to become indistractable, to do what you say you're going to do is the macro skill that helps you accomplish anything you want in life. I think now that the, the scapegoat is technology and phones, but distraction existed before the internet, right? Uh, oh, you, yeah. What did it, what were what forms did it take near? Oh, you, you know, it's interesting. So in my book, I talk about very briefly, I talk about how the history, uh, how interesting it is, this history of technology that is somehow melting your brain, right? So today, it's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you know, my generation was video games, Super Mario Brothers was suppo opposed, supposedly melting all of you know, the kids' brains. And before that, it was comic books. Uh, there was a moral panic around pinball machines. Uh, before that, it was, it, believe it or not, newspapers, even the written word, right? Socrates bemoaned the written word as something that would enfeeble men's minds. And so, you know, this, these trends come uh, and go. We, we freak out about a new technology. Everybody thinks it's melting our brains. We go crazy about it. And then we adapt. And so what I want to do is to facilitate that adaptation. I want to give people tools today to get ahead of the curve while everybody else is busy playing, you know, Candy Crush and putzing around on email. 
I want to teach people how to have this superpower, this skill to do whatever it is that they say they want to do in life. Well, I want to talk about then, okay, what if you're 30 minutes deep in a in a little scrolling, uh, you, you, you go lay down in bed, come home, like you, all you want to do is is uh, relax. However, there are things that you know you should be doing right. and you're like, okay, I'll just check my phone for a little bit and next thing you know, 34 minutes go by, an hour goes by and you're, you've not done the thing that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, how, how do you... How do you get out of that? I mean, it's so hard in the moment. I've been yeah. there. It sounds like you've been spying on me uh, a couple of years ago because that was described. That basically described my existence uh, maybe about three years ago before I started uncovering these these real solutions that I put in indistractable. Thankfully, I don't do that anymore. And so I came up with this model, this indistractable model. And this is this is more important than people buying this book. I want people to understand in their minds how distraction works. And I want them to paint this picture in their heads. And so there's this four-part model that I, I really want people to conceptualize because when you understand the strategy, you can come up with your own tactics. Now, I give a lot of tactics on how to do this. But what's even more important is the strategy. Strategy is why we do something. Tactics is how we do it. So the why of why we do something is to understand what is distraction? What, how, what does this word even mean? Distraction is defined by what it is not. The opposite of distraction is not focus, it's traction. Traction is the opposite of distraction. You'll notice both words, traction and distraction, end in the same word. They both end in the word action, and they actually both come from the same Latin roots, trahare, which means to pull. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, anything you are doing with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, any action that you are doing that pulls you away from what you wanted to do. So this is really important because I'm not one of these people who say technology is evil and you know get off Instagram and that's going to solve all your problems. No, that's ridiculous, right? We will always find distraction just as I did, right? I'd come home from work after a hard day and I'd sit on the couch and I'd say, okay, you know what? I've been working hard. I deserve a break. And so I'd watch Netflix and I'd you know eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's, <laughs> you know, both things that I knew were not good for me. So it's really about first understanding this model, this picture I talked about earlier. So imagine a plus sign, right? Like the cross of a plus sign. And you have on the horizontal axis, to one side, you have traction. To the right, you have an arrow pointing to traction. To the left, you have distraction. So traction and distraction. Now, the vertical line on that plus mark are two arrows pointing in. And the two arrows pointing in represent the two things that drive all human behavior, external triggers or internal triggers. External triggers are the pings, dings, and rings, all of these things in our environment that move us towards traction or distraction. If you get a notification on your phone that says, hey, it's time to work out or it's time for that meeting, then that's what you plan to do. That's moving you towards traction. You can use it to your benefit. However, if you get a notification on your phone and it, and it, and it uh, distracts you, it tells you, uh, hey, check out this thing on Facebook when you wanted to be with your, your, your family, your friends, your children, whatever it might be, well, now it's moving you towards distraction. So those are external triggers. But what I learned in this research, even though we tend to blame the external triggers, and there's a lot we can do, that's actually one of the simplest of the four techniques to, to integrate into your life, the vast majority of distraction starts from within. It's the internal triggers. 
It's these uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape. And so that's the first step to becoming indistractable is understanding why we are prompted to distraction in the first place and understanding that all human behavior is motivated by a desire to escape discomfort. So the first step has to be learning to deal with these internal triggers, what I call mastering the internal triggers. And then we just basically work our way around this plus mark, but it has to be in order. So the first step, just to kind of give you the 30,000 foot view, the first step is to master internal triggers. The second step is to make time for traction. And there's a lot we can do there to make sure that we have time in our data to do the things we like. So for example, there's nothing wrong with scrolling around on Instagram if it's in your calendar, because now you're turning something that used to be a distraction into traction. It's exactly what you plan to do. Then we want to uh, hack back those external triggers. And then finally, the last thing we want to do, and it has to be done in this order, is to prevent distraction with pacts. So those are the four pillars. Uh, a lot more detail, of course, on how to do this stuff, but those are the big four steps. So this is sort of why time management is pain management, as right. you talk about in your book. Right. Yeah. So, you, and you can, you talk about scheduling important relationships. Well, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So just that point around why time management is pain management. That's uh, one of the, the titles of a, a chapter in the book. And this is a really, really important concept that we have to realize that all of our behavior is done out of a desire to escape physical or psychological discomfort. It's called the homeostatic response. So we don't, and a lot of people think, you know, motivation is about pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain. Turns out that's not true. Neurologically speaking, it's pain all the way down. Everything we do is to escape discomfort. So that means that if all behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort, we have to understand our, our pain, our discomfort, if we're going to manage our time. So time management is pain management. But no productivity book tells you that. <laughs> they just teach you the tactics and not the strategy. But let me tell you, if you don't first figure out how to master those internal triggers, everything's going to distract you. You're always going to find something to take you off track. So that has to be the first step. I mean, what about these red push notifications, especially when you post something, you're racking up the likes and comments and... And it's like, wow, I'm important. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I, the, the, the pull, the allure of that is so strong, even, in the, even when you do have your priorities straight. Yeah. How do you overcome these notifications? Yeah. So look, hey, I get I mean, it. <laughs> posting, posting is something that you know, people like you and I have to yeah. do. It's part, of, it's part of our business. Totally. And this is a big reason why I wrote this book because look, you can, you can see on this video uh, uh, chat right now, all these books behind me and how many of these books, I mean, I bought every book on the topic on how to focus, how to do your best work, all the productivity guides, uh, you know, digital distraction. And they all basically said the same thing. Get rid of the tech. I can't do that. You know, maybe that's nice for, you know, some academic in an ivory tower. I need social media for my business. I rely on email and group chat and all these tools for my livelihood. It's not going away. So we have to learn how to deal with it. We have to learn how to make sure that we get the best out of these tools without letting them get the best of us. And that's really what, it, it, what Indistractable is all about. It's not about swearing off these tools because look, if you don't use these tools, you will also be left behind because the people who do use these tools effectively are getting ahead. They're reaching larger audiences. They're, you know, they're, they're booking speaking engagements and book deals and, and finding clients and serving customers better through these technology tools. So they're wonderful. 
if we know how to use them appropriately. Yeah. And, and let me just say, I, there was a period of time over a year ago where I deleted Instagram from my phone. I deleted Facebook from my phone, deleted LinkedIn from my phone, deleted all of these things. And my social life had never been worse. And it seems, <laughs> it seems I got so lonely and it seems like, uh, cause I, I would download Instagram once a week just to like, you know, check in. Yeah. Uh, but I was missing out on so much. I wasn't hanging out with people. Like I, I, I even forgot that just so, so many times I, I ended up hanging out with people just cause they reply to my story or I reply yeah. to their story. And yeah. I was missing out on those innocuous, like unpredictable moments. Uh, and so it was a good move to get it back. And in advanced, it, it advanced coincidentally, my, my brand advanced so much. And when I got all that stuff back as well, so that's definitely not the answer. Right, right. And it's it's interesting, you know, if you just cut it off. So for those of you who have kids, um, you know, we've seen a lot of folks just say, okay, my kid, I got to get them off to technology, right? Like, uh, just stop using, you know, you, you go on YouTube and you, uh, you can find literally thousands of videos of parents smashing their kid's iPhone or, you know, taking a baseball bat to the Xbox. And that's ridiculous. And the same thing applies to us as well. It's like a, it's like a fad diet. You know, I used to be clinically obese at one point. And I would go on these fad diets, no fast food for 30 days. Well, guess what happened on day 31, right? <laughs> like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'd make up for lost time and eat like crazy. So the idea here is to understand the internal triggers of why we use these tools. And if the products aren't serving us, we can't just excise them from our life. We have to replace what they are giving us in the real world. So this is a big part of why it's so important to do what I call schedule syncing where we are literally putting time on our calendar to live out our values. You know, I used to talk a good game and say, oh, well, you know, what's important to you? Oh, my family is important to you. And my health is important to me. My intellectual development, these are my values. This is what's really important to me. But if you looked at my calendar, they weren't there. So I was, I, this is bullshit, right? I was saying these things were important to me. But if you looked at my calendar, you, you wouldn't see those values reflected. So what, what I advise folks and what I learned in this process is to turn your values into time. And that means interacting with other important people to us, whether it's our significant other, our kids, our community, our church, whatever that friend group is for you, that, that those relationships that are important to you, it has to be on your calendar. And for some people, that's online. That's totally fine. I'm not one of these people that say, no, tech bad, real world is good. No, no, that's ridiculous. For a lot of people, you know, if you're located uh, in a remote place where it's very hard to interact with other folks without driving miles and miles, you know, that might be your best option. But for, for those of you who, who hear this and say, you know what, I don't actually have time in my schedule. You know, part of what's happened in the decline of organized religion in this country is that we don't have that regular occurrence to see other people, to understand others, and to be understood. This is a critical human need. And if we don't put it on our calendars, we are going to look for it elsewhere. So it's no surprise that the social media companies say, hey, here you go. Here's this fundamental psychological need that's not being met in your life. Here you go. Use this app and you'll get the, you'll get the sugar rush. You'll get the feeling like, like it's supplementing it. So, so that's just one of the many techniques we talk about in the book. Well, I want to talk about a couple of more of the techniques, but this is just great confirmation for me because I, I put, I love, love, love my calendar. I love showing it to people too because everything is in there. Even hanging out with my friend Brittany at 545 today. It's right in there. It's right in the calendar. Uh, to, you know, there's this friend I want to check up on. 
who's not doing so well, 9 a.m. to 9.02 a.m., text that person. Right, right. Even, even that is in there. Like, because uh, I'll time it out too. Like, oh, I, should, I should text them Wednesday. That would be good timing from like when we last talked. So I'll, so I'll put it in there <laughs> and just so I don't forget. And, it's it's uh, perfect. And it, of it, course, it sounds simple. Yeah. It sounds really simple. But, you know, turns out this, the, the studies find that two thirds of people don't do it at all. They don't keep any sort of calendar. And the remaining one third keep a calendar sparsely. And so what I advise folks, and I'll actually give you a link you can put in the show notes uh, to, to direct people to, yeah. I actually built this free online tool that helps people make a schedule template. And the idea here is that you want to build out your ideal week. Now, it needs to be realistic. It's not my ideal week when I'm on vacation. What does your ideal week look like to live out your values on a daily basis? And some of that might be, look, I got to do laundry. I got to go grocery shopping. I got to take care of my hygiene needs. Those things need to be on there as well. But we want to have an ideal week template that we revise from week to week so that we can make sure we live out our values. And people say, oh, that's too rigid. I can never keep a calendar. Well, look, you have no choice, okay? Don't complain to me about being distracted if you don't know what you're getting distracted from, okay? And I don't, by the way, if you don't have this problem, wrong podcast episode, right? Like if you don't find yourself, if you find yourself always doing what it is you want to do day in and day out, great, keep doing it. But if you're like me, and you constantly get, dist or you, I used to, now thankfully I have this methodology that that's no longer a problem, but if you constantly find yourself wanting to do one thing and doing something else, this is why. This has become an essential practice. And by the way, this is something that C-level people have been doing for a very, very long time. I don't know a single C-level executive who does not walk around with a clipboard and a printout of where they are supposed to be every minute of their day. And so we need something similar. We need a template for what our ideal day looks like. Now, doesn't mean that, you know, if you fall off track that you beat yourself up and you're a horrible, broken human being. No, it means that you can refer back and say, hey, did I do what I said I'm going to do? Did I act in a way that is, is consistent with my values? Did I get traction? And if anything else, if I did anything other than that thing on my calendar, it's a distraction. Particularly, by the way, this happens a lot with things that we think are helping us, but are really distractions. These are these, these uh, what I call pseudo work. So I'm checking email. That, that seems like it's productive, right? I need to check email for my business. But if it, you're checking email when you plan to work on that big project, finish that big report that you've been putting off, it is also a distraction because it's not what you plan to do. Here's the tweetable, and you're going to love this near. <laughs> Busyness is the most common form of laziness. Yes, I, I would concur with that. Yeah, it's that pseudo work, right? It's, oh, let me yeah. just do this one Slack thing or let me just do this one email. It feels like work, but it, you're right, it's busyness. Responding to comments and messages, meetings, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh my God. I mean, there's a, there's a whole chapter in the book about how to, how to make meetings indistractable. What a freaking waste of time most how, meetings how, are. How in the world, I mean, gosh, how in the world can you make meetings indistractable? I mean, I think they're yeah. just by default distractible and there's no change in them. So there's a, a few things. You want, you, I'll get tactical here. By the way, again, the most important part is the strategy, not the tactics. The tactics are what we do. The strategy is why we do it. But this section of the book happens to be very, very tactical because I got a lot of questions uh, around this uh, when I was writing this book. So here are the quick hits for how to make meetings indistractable. The first thing you want to do is to understand why we have so many pointless meetings in the first place. And, the, and remember, we said earlier, all human behavior is driven by a desire to escape discomfort, even calling unnecessary meetings. 
So what's the discomfort behind why people call unnecessary meetings? The discomfort is that it is easier to deal with a problem by getting a bunch of people in the room saying, hey, what do y'all think about this? Then to sit down and think. Thinking these days is such a scarce commodity. People do not take the time to think through a problem. They say, and it becomes easier. Hey, quick email. Uh, uh, I need all of you to come into this room. We got to talk about this real quick. And this is a technique that I actually picked up at Amazon. And they have these rules. So this is what you do. The first rule is, if you call a meeting, you have to send out an agenda. Okay? No agenda, no goddamn meeting. Mm. We want some friction to calling that meeting. Second rule, if you call that meeting, you have to think about the question that you are posing yourself. And so at Amazon, they have these very brief, uh, these very short briefing documents. It's like a one page, one and a half pager thing. Here's the problem. Here's my recommendation. Because we got to remember meetings, the purpose of meetings are for consensus building. It's not for hearing yourself think. It's not for brainstorming. Brainstorming, studies find, is much better conducted in very small groups. One to two people groups are the right size for brainstorming. Because if you have big team meetings to brainstorm a solution, you know what happens? And when I say it, you'll say, oh yeah, I see that happen all the time. The loudest person hogs the brainstorm. Yeah. So don't do it. And I've seen it hundreds of times with my clients when I used to teach at Stanford at the design school there. You have these, uh, you know, these group brainstorm meetings and it's always typically the male, you know, some big male in the room or the highest paid person in the room who dominates the brainstorm. So don't do it. What you do is you have these brainstorms with one other person, even by yourself, and then you present a briefing document of what you recommend, and then you gain consensus. Hey, am I looking at this problem right? Did I miss something in my analysis? If not, great, let's implement. Let's do it. Let's build consensus around what the next steps are. And the third recommendation here for indistractable meetings is one device per room. It kills me. When I go, I do, I mean, I do these very expensive workshops for companies and I'll get into the room and typically it's the highest paid person in the room will be putzing around on their phone while I'm fucking teaching this workshop. You know, they're paying thousands of dollars to have me there and, you know, usually the boss, their mind is somewhere else on their phone, checking email or whatever else. So if we're going to meet in the physical space, which sometimes we need to gain consensus, to learn something new, right? To attend a workshop, you have to be mentally present. So if we are going to be present in the physical world, we have to be present in body as well as mind. So one device per room. And that one device should be a laptop or something that presents on a screen to take notes around the meeting and share those notes later. So that means that every conference room needs a charging station. Okay, it's 20 bucks on Amazon. You put it in the corner of the room and everybody as they enter the room charges their device. They turn, put them on silent and they charge their device. And so this has been shown to increase the productivity of meetings and decrease how long meetings take because you know what happens. People are on their device and then, you know, you say, okay, are we good? Are we, are we all agreed? What, what, what just happened? I was, I, I, I'm sorry, can we do that again? Because I was busy checking email. And so this, is, this has got to be a, a, a new practice that, that uh, uh, we disseminate throughout corporate America is that if we're going to have a meeting, we have to leave the devices outside, one device per meeting. Well, I think outside of corporate America, we can make family time more meaningful. I, when I'm out to dinner with my family and brother and sister, I, I say, like, they know my rule is no phones on the table. 
that Absolutely. it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll, you know, if I'm out with friends, I'll be a little less pushy. I'll be like, look, this is what I tell my family. You can do what you want, but this is why I do it. And uh, like, if you're putting your phone on the table during, you know, say you're at dinner and you're just saying to the other people there, like, you're just not that important to me. Yes, it's and, true. And I, it's like, if you're texting somebody who's not there and you're around other people in person, that's a problem. <laughs> Dude, I, I totally agree with you. There's actually a chapter in the book about how to build indistractable relationships. Uh, and yes. it's specifically about my relationship. One chapter is about my relationship with my wife, about how to be an indistractable lover. And another chapter is about what do we do with our friends? So I had this common problem. A lot of, and a lot of people ask me this around, look, you know, I am indistractable, right? I follow these techniques. But what happens when I'm with other people who don't? What do I do? And so what we have to do is develop what's called social antibodies. And so, you know, the, the, and the reason I think there's hope and it's not the technology's fault is that we've been here before. You know, I, I grew up, I came of age in the late 80s. Those are like some of my first memories are, are in the mid to late 80s. And I remember in my home, we had ashtrays all over my house. Now, my dad had quit smoking. My mom never smoked. And yet we still had ashtrays in the house. Why was that? Because in the late 80s, you could go into somebody's home and just light up. That was just something you did. And in fact, it was weird to ask someone, can you please go outside if you're going to smoke? Today, if someone came to my home and lit up a cigarette in my living room, I'd kick them out. They wouldn't be my friend anymore, right? Can you imagine how weird that would be? I so, hate that. <laughs> right. And so you say, oh, but with smoking, there was laws, there was legislation. Yeah, but there's zero laws that say you can't smoke in someone's house. That doesn't exist, right? That's never been a law that says you can't smoke in someone's living room. So why don't people do it anymore? Because we adopted these social antibodies. People got the message that that's something rude to do. And we need to do the exact same thing when it comes to our devices. How do we do that? So let's say you're sitting around a table, you know, you're at dinner, you're at lunch, and somebody decides a good time to take out their phone. Now, this is particularly pernicious because there's this secondhand smoke effect when it comes to devices, right? One, people, one person takes out their phone and they start putzing around with it, checking email, checking Facebook, whatever. And then somebody else sees it and said, oh, I guess, well, if he's doing it, it's okay if I do it too. It's kind of like when smokers take out a pack of cigarettes and then everybody starts lighting up. Mirroring and, so, and matching, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we, we have to do something about it. And so here's what we do. We can't say, hey, I'm indistractable, so put away your phone. What you want to do is to pose a simple question. You want to give them an out if it really is an emergency. Because look, you don't want to be the jerk that says, hey, can you put away your phone? And they said, actually, you know, my kid uh, is sick at daycare. They need me to pick him up, right? Ooh, ooh that, feels that feels terrible. So you want to give them an out in case it really is an emergency. But if it's not, if it's just, hey, can you, you know, stop checking Instagram right now? We're trying to have a conversation. Uh, then, you know, how do you bring them back? So here's what you do. You ask this question. You say, hey, I see you're on your phone. Is everything okay? That's it. Is everything okay? And they'll get the hint that, oh, actually, you know what? I'm really sorry. There's an emergency right now. I got to go take this. In which case, fine, no problem. Just leave the table and take your call or, or you know, do whatever you need to do on your phone somewhere else. Or they'll say, no, that's okay. And they'll put it away and join the conversation. So that's a very simple technique that I describe. But most importantly, this idea of creating these social antibodies that so we need to, you know, mo and, and I have to tell you, it's getting better. So I've been teaching now. Uh, I, t I started teaching at Stanford in 2012. And I remember even in 2012, my students would use their phones throughout the class. 
And now I see less and less of that. People are getting the, me- uh, the message that it's rude to use your device in the, meeting of a, in the middle of a class, in a meeting, uh, on a date, right? You're kind of a loser these days if you haven't gotten the message. But yet we need to spread these social antibodies so people know the, the right and wrong place to use these devices. Absolutely. And even when I'm out, I make it a general rule. If I'm around other people, keep your phone in your pocket because, and I've made friends this way, and you could very well lose friends this way by taking your phone out with other people around you. You never, you never know who you're missing out on meeting if you just bury your head in your phone as opposed to actually facing the uncomfortability of approaching, ha- having to approach someone, someone new. Totally. totally. You can always, there's always that quick out. Like I'll just pull out my phone. Yeah. And I'll go and, home. And why do we do that? We do that because we are looking to escape. I'm a little, and this, by the way, this used to happen to me all the time. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert and I don't really want to talk to people right now. And I'm kind of, this doesn't feel very good. I'm a little bit feeling shy and I, you know, a little insecure. So let me just check my phone. <laughs> right. And that's the icky sticky truth. It's not Facebook doing it to you. It's that you're looking for escape, right? You're looking for relief. By the way, you know, when it comes to these social situations, the problem is much bigger. There are many more distractions that have been with us for a very long time and we forget about that have nothing to do with our phones. I hate when a friend asks me to go out to dinner and they invite me to a sports bar and there are 32 televisions all over us blaring some game that I don't want to watch. I want to be with my buddy. I want to see what's going on in their life. I want them to be vulnerable with what they're struggling with and tell them what I'm struggling with so we can bond. And all we can hear is, is you know, the soccer game and the baseball game and the basketball. Not that there's anything wrong with watching any of those things. If you want to watch those things, watch those things. But, you know, these places, as far as I'm concerned, are not the kind of place you should go with friends. Because if we want to be truly present with people, we have to be truly present in body and mind. There's that. That's, gosh, you're making me realize this is why I struggle in, say, a bar situation where, yes, there's a lot of TVs, but also the music is obnoxiously loud. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a barrier to communication. It's a distraction. Right. Uh, right. And, and it's so funny. I... I Whenever I go out with my friends, those very rare times that, that I'm like, oh, okay, I'll come to the bar. I go, I'll yeah. go party with you guys. Uh, those rare times, and it's like we're sitting there paying for drinks and, and wait, getting drinks in like plastic cups and, and paying like, for we're it. just sitting. We're just, yeah, we're paying for it. We're just sitting there nobody's saying anything to each other because it's too loud and and it's like and then one person pulls out their phone another person does i literally have a picture in my head near of of me and my friends uh and Haley and and us just sitting there in the with our with our drinks and phones i was like it's so stupid like wait why do we go out i i just want to i just want to have a more indistractable relationship and and just sit at home and, and have a meaningful conversation and like ha- do it that way. Real, oh so, hey, Jordan, you are speaking the truth. And let me tell you, people don't talk about this because it sounds like you're being a fuddy-duddy, right? Like, oh, you don't like clubbing? You're too old. Music too loud? You're too old. Let me tell you, the reason we pump ourselves full of drinks at a club is because the only way to enjoy these shitholes is to be drunk or high. There is yes. nothing fun about them. We do this because this allows us to not need to have an actual conversation with another human being. It's not our phones. This isn't new. Drinking 
you're, yourself silly is, the, is, is a classic distraction, right? It's in the Bible, right? Like people have been getting drunk for a very, very long time for the same exact reason, to avoid discomfort. And so I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with it. I enjoy getting tipsy sometimes. It's a lot of fun, right? Oh, yeah. But do it with intent. Don't do it with, oh, well, I guess I have no other idea what to do. I guess we'll go out and we'll get drunk because well, I don't know what else to do. You're doing it because you're escaping discomfort. And that's fine if we do it with intent, but I think we should open our aperture a bit, right? What if we don't have to use that as the only place where we feel we can bond with, po- with people, right? Uh, I think part of becoming an adult is also pushing our comfort zones to try other opportunities to bond with people. And you will find that those are much more fulfilling opportunities. Just as I say, you know, look, if social media, I I love social media and I connect with a lot, I stay in touch with a lot of people because of social media that geography separates us and we're very close still because we can keep up with each other's lives through social media. But that's not, everybody knows that that's not as fulfilling as a relationship in real life. And similarly, the friends that you only party with if that's all you can bond over is, oh, he puked and he did this and she did that and like the drama of, of you know, going out clubbing, if that's all, it's surface level. It's not fulfilling. And this is why people wake up 30, 40 years later and say, I have no real friends. Nobody knows me. Because all you've been doing is sticking around you know, dark, dank clubs, getting wasted. You haven't bonded, really. You haven't learned something about them and have them learn something about you. I resonate with this so deeply that while you were talking about all of this, my heart rate went up. There's a, there's a real neurochemical response right now in me. So, Nir, I, I cannot think of a better book for people to go and buy right now, indistractable on Amazon. There's, there's no excuses. Like this, is an, this book is under 20 bucks. You can and it's going to change your life. And you're such a well-respected writer. You're a brilliant writer, a scholar, a real student of life. Highly recommend. Endorse everything you do at the highest level near at Nir Ayal on Twitter. But get the book. That's the most important thing here. Nirfar.com. <laughs> but the book is first. Links are going to be in the show notes at uh, jordanparis.com slash Nir, N-I-R. And yeah, Nir, is there any, anything else? I really appreciate it, Jordan. It means a lot to me, and I really hope this helped, folks. Uh, and and uh, thank you again. I appreciate your interest in the topic and these great questions. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. And you know, I gotta. I, oh gosh, I, I forgot to say this quote of yours. That, okay. and I want to want to end it with this: If we don't plan our day, someone else will. Near Ayal, you're the man. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jordan. It was fun. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Growth Mindset University, the podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, all I ask is that you share it out to your friends, family, etc. on your Instagram story and tag me and our guest today. And don't forget to message our guest as well so that you build your network as you listen and learn with this podcast. And if you really believe that hearing the message of growth is important to the world and you want to help others find our show and you're not satisfied with just taking a screenshot and sharing this on your Instagram story, well, I've got good news for you. You can go the extra mile in helping spread this message of growth. You can leave us an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We have over 200 ratings right now and it has made a gigantic difference 
for this show, not only helping people find the show, but getting awesome guests. Thank you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count. Live to learn and grow to give.